Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Rob O'Hara. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing Burger Time. Do you know why there's a fried egg chasing you in Burger Time? You'll find out after listening to this episode of the show. But before we get started talking about the show, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. Welcome back to another episode of Sprite Castle. I'm trying something new this week, and if it works well, I'll continue doing it this way, but I am recording both a video and audio version of Sprite Castle at the same time. So if you're subscribed to my Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv forward slash Rob O'Hara, and you've been notified, you may be sitting there watching me record right now. Uh, the episodes, I think, are going to get uploaded to my Sprite Castle YouTube channel. Um, but everything that I've been doing before, I will continue to do. There's still going to be an audio version of the podcast. My Wednesday night streams are still going to go to the Amigos Retro Gaming channel that's on YouTube. You can just go there and look for the playlist that says Sprite Castle, and you'll find those videos. Um, and you may see random videos that don't really fit either of those things show up on youtube.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. So uh, you might as well just subscribe to everything. <laughs> That's the easiest way to find out uh, what's going on. As I began this new adventure into YouTube, I wanted to get a new logo for Sprite Castle. And so if you're ever lonely, uh, I highly recommend going to Twitter and uh, posting a tweet, which is what I did. And I mentioned the word Fiverr and logo in the same tweet. Now, Fiverr is a website uh, where you can... Uh, hire people to do small jobs. And it turns out if you mention those words on Twitter, people will come out of the woodwork <laughs> to offer to do work for you. So um, yeah, after uh, several dozen responses and people demanding that I DM them, uh, I did get a response from uh, a listener of the show. His name is Timu. And I'm going to uh, add some uh, credits for him later on. I, I haven't fully incorporated all this stuff, but he asked me what I was thinking about uh, for a new logo. I drew, literally drew with an ink pen on a piece of line notebook paper and said, this is a general idea. And he said, give me uh, some time. And two hours later, he sent me so many logos to choose from, uh, completely professional looking stuff. Uh, I, I'm just totally amazed. You know, I'm pretty good at going into Photoshop, um, like I can put my head on other people's bodies pretty well. <laughs> That's a skill I have. Uh, but, you know, as far as drawing something from scratch or going from an idea, a sketch on a piece of paper into a, a professional looking logo, man, that is uh, uh, just a, a skill and a talent that I'm completely envious of. So uh, I, you may see some new artwork coming soon related to Sprite Castle. You may see some of those things uh, on the YouTube channel, but I'm, I'm uh, really super excited. And if you're one of my Patreon followers, you may have already seen a few of the logos. I've leaked a few and got some feedback, and pretty much the feedback has all been really positive so far. So I'm super excited about all that. And speaking of feedback, I got a little bit of feedback from last episode, which was Hardball. Um, most of it was pretty generic, so I didn't really write down every single person's name. A lot of people said, I played this a lot as a kid, and I and I went back and played it again this week, so I'm not going to list every single person that said that, but there were probably a dozen. It was funny, I had two uh, messages. One said that they really wished that Hardball had had the ability to change the players' names and the lineups like you could do in Fourth and Inches, which was Accolade's football game. And immediately after that, I got an email from someone who said, hey, as a kid, one thing we did was went in with a sector editor and modified all the names and we changed them all to uh, our friends' names on the football team and stuff. So it's funny that so many of us have similar ideas that we played the same games uh, and did uh, all those, uh, uh, you know, fun things like that. So anyway, I uh, had a... Uh, uh, a really good time playing that last week, and uh, it seems like a lot of other people enjoyed playing uh, that game as well. And now, 
we're going to discuss last week's King of the Castle. The King of the Castle song for the last episode was Your Love by the Outfield. Now, uh, you might say, your love, what does your love have to do with baseball? And not much, but the band's name, The Outfield, was what I was going for, the baseball connection. And boy, did I think that I was tricky. Well, I was not tricky. There are so many people <laughs> in the VIP room this week. Uh, that I, there's literally, I've seen lines. People have been going in and out. I think the bathroom line is so long that people are finding other bathrooms in the castle. Uh, it, it's just been kind of a mess. Uh, but congratulations to Steve Sharippa, Joe Sharippa, Ferg from the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast, Adam from the Retro Gaming Bygone show, Robot Doctor, Alan Hennessy, David Modelak, Darren Folds, Mike McLaughlin, Bill Spear, and Edward Smith. Now, Edward Smith also mentioned that the name of the album uh, that this song came from was called Play Deep, uh, which is also a baseball term. That's when the outfield guys scoot back and they play deeper in the outfield. So uh, my attempt to trick people uh, was not successful. <laughs> I seem to have tricked no one uh, with my choice. So uh, if you want to play along and try to become a king of the castle, all you've got to do is listen for the 8-bit song, that appears towards the end of the episode. It will not be directly from the game, but thematically it will have something to do with the game. All you've got to do is send me an email at robohara at robohara.com. And if you would, put King of the Castle in the subject. Uh, Gmail has been filtering a lot of these out, and so I have a rule that says if you put King of the Castle in the subject, uh, this rule makes sure that it's not spam. So I, I definitely will see it that way. Uh, so... Send me that email and possibly you could become king of the castle next week. Hopefully all these people will clear out. It's a, it's a mess in there right now. <laughs> I'm going to hire somebody to do some cleaning. Uh, on to Commodore 64 News. Uh, the big release group this week is Arlisoft. Now, I mentioned Arlisoft last week. And uh, uh, they were working on a version of Galaga for the Commodore 64 over the past two weeks, they've ported three more games to the Commodore 64, and I believe all three of these are Atari 2600 games. Uh, they released Fast Food, which I know is an Atari 2600 game, Taz from the Atari 2600, and Freeway, which was an Atari 2600 game that was uh, Activision's, kind of Activision's version of Frogger, I would say. So Arlosoft has been knocking them out of the park. Uh, we also got a release of Lumberjack Revision. Now, Lumberjack was a game that was released for the Amiga and several other games. It's kind of a, uh, I think of this as almost like Flappy Bird. It, it's a kind of a mindless game that you can just sit there and zone out and play. And the controls, you literally just press left and right on the joystick and you chop the tree from different sides. And as the branches come down, you have to switch sides so that the branches don't hit you in the head. So, uh, but the faster you go uh, and, you know, the longer that you can work on the trees, the more points you get. So um, they've added a bunch of new features to the Commodore 64 version, and uh, uh, it's pretty cool. So you should definitely go check that out. Uh, speaking of new releases, there's also Freaky Fish DX. Now, I played Freaky Fish on one of my Wednesday night streams, and the DX is the new Ultimate Digital Edition. There's a lot of new features that they've added. I think they added some new levels, and uh, the guys that have been working on that, uh, super cool guys. I'm actually beta testing their next game right now, which I uh, can't say too much about, but I can tell you that I play it about every other day, and it's super addictive. Uh, so definitely go, uh, if you haven't seen the stream, go look up the stream for Freaky Fish DX, uh, that I played, but it's a super fun game. And if you're not interested in the cartridge version or anything like that, this new ultimate digital edition, uh, would be a good option for you. I saw another demo. I think this is a second demo that we've seen in the last few weeks. This one is called Free Spin, and this is a demo that runs directly off of the Commodore's 1541 disk drive. Now, uh, if you know how the Commodore was engineered, the disk drive actually has its own 
processor, just like the computer does. And so what people have been doing is creating demos that use the processor of the floppy drive. It's weird. It's a, it's a weird concept, but um, uh, they are doing it. So now I guess I, I, I haven't, I need to do more research on this, but I guess you can modify this to get the video out of the drive as well. You can get video out of the serial port. So uh, I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know how they do it, but uh, they're doing it. So if you want to go check out, it's a lot easier if you just go to YouTube and check out uh, a free spin demo and you won't have to modify a real disk drive to be able to view this. Uh, and finally, I got to mention Amigathon. Now, Amigathon uh, is part of the Extra Life fundraising that goes on every year. And this is the guys from uh, the Amigos podcast uh, who also host the Discord server and have been so kind as to let me put my podcast uh, on their feed. But uh, the Amigos are going to be streaming starting this Saturday, uh, 7 a.m. Eastern, for 12 hours, from 7 a.m. Eastern to 7 p.m. Eastern. And this Saturday is July 24th, 2021. And as they're going to have all kinds of hosts. Uh, they're having guests. They're having some giveaways. They're doing a lot of neat stuff. I'm able, because of being on the Discord server, I get to peek behind the curtain a little bit. And they've got a lot of neat stuff planned for their stream. Uh, but afterwards, I mean, you can only stream for so long. They're going to stream for 12 hours, and then they're going to hand it off. And the first person they're handing it off to is yours truly. So I will be streaming from 7 p.m. Eastern to 9 p.m. Eastern, and then I will be passing it. And I've seen the uh, the lineup of some of the other people that are going to be streaming. If you hang out on the Amigos, if you've watched the Team Speaker regulars or any of those uh, related shows, then you'll probably recognize some of the names. But there's a lot of neat stuff lined up. So if you just go to Amigathon.com, you can find out all the information. You could get the links. Um, but it's going to be really cool. And I know that I've got some stuff planned. I've got some giveaways. My buddy Steel Rat, who shows up in the chat, Jeff, who I've talked about many, many times on the podcast, is going to be joining me for our show. Uh, we've got uh, a... Um, a spinning wheel that spins to randomize different things, similar to what uh, Aaron and Brent have on their show. But our wheel's going to look a little different. Uh, I don't think their wheel has things like uh, do a shot every five minutes for an hour. <laughs> I'm not sure what else is going to be on our wheel. We've got some kooky stuff planned, so uh, it should be quite the event. Uh, I, I can tell you that for what we've got planned, we couldn't make it 12 hours. We're only going to make it two hours. So uh, anyway, go to Amigathon. Again, this is uh, part of Extra Life, and it's raising money for the Children's Miracle Network. So it's a, a good cause, uh, you know, and, and everybody's doing their part to do a little bit of entertainment to try to get donations to help sick kids if there's not a better uh, case uh, to, to be involved in. I don't know what it is. So anyway, uh if you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. You can join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave me a message on the podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. All of my Patreons uh, get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server that I mentioned, and other additional perks. So if you'd like to find out more about how you can support my shows, go to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. And don't forget that all Patreon supporters get access to the Amigos Discord server, which is home to several podcast communities, including the Amigos, ARG Presents, Pixel Guide In, and the Team Speak Irregulars. This episode and every episode of Sprite Castle is proudly sponsored by Retro Rewind. For all your Commodore bits, bytes, and accessories, visit Retro Rewind at retrorewind.ca forward slash Sprite Castle. When you check out, uh, there's a spot where you can put in your code, put in Sprite Castle, and you would get a 10% discount right off the top of your order. So I think for a lot of things, that will cover your shipping and even uh, uh, some of the other things, you'll get a, a pretty good discount depending on what you're ordering. They got a lot of cool stuff. I just ordered a Kung Fu flash cartridge. They have the new NTSC version, so uh, that should be here any day 
And I'm sure I'll be talking about that on the next episode of Sprite Castle. And those are this week's headlines brought to you by my paper boy who just drove his bike through my wife's petunias. Just one of those days. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. You know, I started this this uh, bit for Talking Snack where I have snacks and uh, I try to relate them to the game that I've played that week and uh, sometimes it's really hard. You know, sometimes you play a game like, uh, you know, Bruce Lee or Pole Position or something and you go, what's a good food that goes with Pole Position? You know, and you, I really have to stretch uh, those, those creative muscles and come up with some sort of connection. Uh, but this week... I'm playing a game about hamburgers. <laughs> and so sometimes uh, they just present themselves. It's pretty easy. And so uh, on this week for snack, Talking Snack, I went to Five Guys and I got a burger from Five Guys. Now, uh, Five Guys, uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but sometimes you'll go out of state uh, or on a trip and you'll you'll find some place to eat. And it just seems kind of more romantic, more mysterious because you don't have that where you live. Uh, I've always been that way about White Castle, which is partially where the name of this podcast came from. Uh, the closest White Castle to me is in St. Louis, which is a seven-hour drive for me. And then they have them in Chicago. And so when I was a kid, we would go on road trips. And, uh, you know, the, once a year we would go to Chicago. And that's the only time I ever got to have White Castles. Now, if you know people that live near White Castles, they don't talk so highly about them. <laughs> <laughs> and I've actually had the opposite happen. I have a, a friend of mine who lives in Washington State, and every time he comes here, he just falls over backwards for Whataburger. And he goes on and on about Whataburger. We've got to go to Whataburger. Uh, he's come here for work, spent five days here, and eaten lunch at Whataburger all five days. Um there's a Whataburger five minutes from my house. I don't ever eat there. <laughs> so uh, so anyway, uh, years ago, I went on a trip to Washington, D.C., and I stayed in a hotel, and it was located right next to a Five Guys. And so I went there, and uh, I just thought it was fantastic. You know, they, they make the burger to order. So when you go up to order, um, there's just a list of ingredients, and you just sit there, and, and you tell them, what you like on a burger. You know, I get lettuce and pickles and, and um, mustard and grilled onions. And sometimes I get steak sauce or whatever, you know, jalapenos sometimes. And the burgers are made right there, super fresh. And they have peanuts uh, and they're just out there for the taking. And so you get a little paper boat and you eat some peanuts while you're waiting. <laughs> it's just a fun experience, you know. And I just thought it was so great. And when I came back to Oklahoma, uh, you know, there were no Five Guys here. And so they opened, they started building a Five Guys about, oh, I don't know, 10 minutes away from my house. And every time I would leave, I would drive past it. There's a big sign that said, coming soon, Five Guys. And I was very excited about it. And so uh, one day we drove by, the parking lot was full. I was like, I didn't know they had opened. And so my family and I, all of us were there, my wife, my two kids, and we pulled in and we could see everybody was inside, you know. And so we went up to the front door, pulled on the door, and it was locked. I was like, well, what's going on, you know? And, and so I put my, my hands, uh, you know, around my eyes. I looked at the glass. I could see him in there. And I knocked on the door. And eventually somebody came over, a manager came over to me. And he said, he opened the door. And he said, I'm sorry, but we're not open yet. And I'm like, you know, it's it's it's. 12.30, 1 o'clock, what do you mean you're not open? He says, no, as a business, we're not open yet. Tomorrow is our grand opening, but today we're practicing. <laughs> so every employee that works here is here today, right now, um, making burgers and stuff. And I'm like, well, if you want to practice making burgers, you can practice with customers, just let us in. And the guy goes, you know what? It makes sense. So he let me and my wife and my kids in and then locked the door behind us. And so we were the very first customer to eat at Five Guys uh, in Oklahoma City. It was the very first location. 
And we went through the line and, uh, you know, we ordered our hamburgers and I remember ordering the fries and we were like, well, we'll just, we'll just take a small fry. And they're like four large fries. You know? <laughs> they're just, they're just upselling us on everything because they didn't make us pay. Um, and what was funny was we ordered four large drinks and I've kept this receipt. Um, the drinks ring up on the register for a hundred dollars each, ninety nine ninety nine for all the drinks, and so our total on the receipt came up to like four hundred and fifty dollars. And I was like, "What?" They was like, "No, nah, don't. We're we're going to fix all the prices. We'll we'll download all the prices in the morning and, and fix the register." And uh, so anyway, we we had a great time, and uh, I haven't been going to Five Guys. Uh, especially during the COVID and all this time during carryout because their burgers are so good when they're fresh, but by the time when you get them home or if you have a, a DoorDash or something, deliver them, they're all soggy and mess and they just fall apart, you know. So now that the dining is back open uh, and our five guys has seating outside too. There's a big outdoor area where you can go sit. Uh, but um, so I, I did uh, about a week ago, we went to five guys and man, those burgers are so good. And one of the best thing about it is when you sit inside after you make your order, you can sit there and watch the people assemble your burger. And speaking of assembling burgers, Burger Time was written and published for the Commodore 64 by Interceptor Micros in 1984. It is a game for one player that uses keyboard and joystick controls. Now, Interceptor Micros is also known as Interceptor Software. They had some other names. And the name, the way that they have their name listed on not just Moby Games, but actually in actual literature is Interceptor Micros with an apostrophe S. Grammatically, that doesn't look right to me, but that's the way they have it. And so that's the way I've put it in this show. Uh, Interceptor Micros is a British publisher. They were most proficient from 1980 to 1986. And it appears that they're specialized in knockoffs <laughs> of licensed games. So they made unlicensed versions of games. Some of the games that they have listed on Moby Games include Defender 64, <laughs> Frogger 64, Scramble 64, uh, and Crazy Kong. They also released Break Fever, which uh, there are not that many breakdancing games for the Commodore 64, but Break Fever uh, is one of them. But this is the first game from Interceptor Micro or Interceptor Software that we have covered on the show. Uh, now, of course, this uh, is a game, uh, the Commodore 64 version, which was released in 1984, is based on Burger Time, the arcade game, which was released in 1982 uh, by Data East. Now, uh, Data East uh, was founded in 1976 in Tokyo. They started with arcade games. Some of the uh, arcade games you might be familiar with are Kung Fu Master, Heavy Barrel, Robocop, Bump and Jump, Karnov. Uh, one thing that a lot of people or some people aren't familiar with is that Data East also made a lot of pinball games. Uh, and you would think, well, maybe they were just dabbling in pinball games. They actually were pretty groundbreaking uh, in the world of pinball. They released a game called Laser War, which is the first pinball game to have stereo sound. They also released the first pinball machine that had a small dot matrix display and the first one to use one of those big DMD screens. So they were pretty... Um, forward thinking when it came to their pinball machines. They also licensed a lot of different things for their pinball machines. They released Guns N' Roses machines, Star Wars, Back to the Future, Batman, Robocop, Simpsons, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle pinball machines. So lots of license tables. Uh, some of their games you'll probably be familiar with. Again, I mentioned some of the uh, classic ones like Kung Fu Master and Heavy Barrel. They had a lot of games licensed for the Commodore 64 as well. Bad Dudes, The Real Ghostbusters, Ikari Warriors, Breakthrough, Sly Spy are some of the ones. Uh, and I have covered one Data East title on Sprite Castle. Uh, we did Karate Champ all the way back on episode 24. Now, this game was written, 
by a man named Lee Brain, and the music was by Chris Cox. And if you look through Interceptor's software library, you'll see those names again and again. They released literally dozens of games uh, for the company. In burger time, you are Chef Peter Pepper, and you must assemble hamburgers while avoiding roaming hot dogs and fried eggs. Now, the arcade version also has roaming pickles, which this version does not have. And we'll be talking a lot about things <laughs> that this version doesn't have. Uh, your hamburgers are assembled by walking over parts of the hamburger and dropping them down to the bottom of the screen. Your enemies can be temporarily stunned by throwing pepper in their face, and levels are completed when all the hamburgers on the screen have been assembled. Uh, again, the arcade version of this game was released in 1982, and this port was released in 1984. The box artwork is something that we're going to have to dig into. <laughs> uh, it says Interceptor Software presents Burger Time. Now, one thing that I, I have to mention is I'm really a stickler for making sure that I spell game titles the way that they are originally spelled, whether they're one word or two words. Uh, Burger Time is pretty difficult to do. Uh, on the marquee of Burger Time, it's all one word, but Burger and Time are both capitalized. On this, on the front of the title, and throughout the manual, it's Burger Time in all capitals with a space, so it's two words. Um, I've also seen it written as one word with a T lowercase. So pretty much however you want to write Burger Time, I guess is okay. Anyway, back to the cover of this. In the background, you've got this giant hamburger. Uh, there are layers of meat, at least three layers of meat. Uh, the sausage or the hot dog wiener and the fried egg are none too happy looking, and they have been trapped inside the burger. There's lettuce and tomato and onions and a lot of things that don't appear in the game uh, on this hamburger. And the hamburger is... Uh, I guess, you know, proportional to the way it appears in the game because it is almost as tall. Actually, without his hat, it is taller than Chef Peter Pepper. Now, let's talk about the way that the chef appears on the cover. First of all, he has gigantic eyebrows and a big, bushy, curly mustache. He is wearing a white chef's outfit with a big white chef's hat. Uh, and he has a green belt and a pair of green, they almost look like clown shoes, <laughs> with his leg crossed over in front of him. In one of his hands, he's holding a metal spatula, like a weapon. Now, of course, in the game, uh, you don't have a spatula, but, you know, whatever. In his other hand, he is drinking a shake. This is kind of confusing uh, because in the game, there is something that appears like a shake, but it's not referred to as a shake. We'll get into that here in a minute. Uh, also, very awkwardly, in the hand that's holding the shake only has three fingers. Now, this isn't really a cartoon version. It's not meant to look like a cartoon guy. It's stylized to look like, you know, a real human being. And the fingers are oddly spaced apart. It's, I don't know. It's almost like he's an alien chef. <laughs> it's very strange. Now, if you want to talk about strange things, on the back of the box, we get a little bit of information about the game. And it says, the very first thing it says is, guide, quote, jumping Jeff, the fast food chef, around the different crazy kitchens to make his favorite snack, llama burgers. There's a lot to take in right there. Uh, number one, his name is Jumping Jeff. Everybody knows his name is Chef Peter Pepper. He throws pepper. One of the other games has the word Peter Pepper in the title. So this is your first clue that this is not a licensed port of Burger Time. Jumping Jeff. And also I like that they put it in quotes, Jumping Jeff, as if we're supposed to go, this is not Jumping Jeff. Also in the game, you can't jump. <laughs> this is a bad nickname for a guy that can't jump. You shouldn't have jumping in your name. Also, Llama burgers. That's a bold choice. 
I don't know if this is a reference to Llamasoft um, or if this was just to keep them out of court. And I mean, in my head, I have this whole scene where they go, no, your honor, <laughs> we don't make hamburgers at our game. We make llama burgers. I, I, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. Uh, it goes on. It says, walk over various burger parts, bun tops and bottoms, 100% pure llama meat and lettuce to complete each of the four burgers in trays. Beware of the pursuing Mr. Hot Dog and Miss Egg who are out to get Jumpy Jeff, although you squash them between falling burgers for extra points. This is quote, so I'm not going to pick up their grammar. Pressing the fire button or control key releases a cloud of pepper which lasts for a few seconds and renders the pursuing food harmless. You start each screen with three units of pepper and can get more by taking the milkshakes, which appear from time to time. After completing the burgers, you move on to a different screen with more pursuing food. So they do call it a milkshake here, but the thing is, in the arcade game, it's called like a pepper grinder or something because when you get it, you get more pepper. <laughs> so there's some world where a chef who's not named chef, a chef who can't jump named Jumping Jeff is assembling llama burgers and picks up shakes, which are full of pepper. <laughs> this is a strange world. Um, I like to talk on my podcast about the title screen and then the loading screen and then the menu screen. But in this game, that's all one screen. <laughs> uh, once the game boots up, it says burger time in a big logo that's obviously just made in um, pet ASCII, just basic characters. Uh, it says written by Lee Brain, music by Chris Cox and Interceptor Micros 1984. And then that text uh, alternates between that and the top four high scores. Uh, once the game starts and you start the game by uh, hitting the space bar, uh, you will see a series of ladders and platforms. They are all blue. And not only are they all blue, uh, but they are drawn in the darkest blue that is available in the Commodore's palette. I'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, you will see the different separate parts of the burgers, the top and bottoms of the buns, uh, the lettuce and the meat patties. Uh, then you uh, will see your chef. I call him Chef Peter Pepper, even though the jumping Jeff, the guy that doesn't jump. Um, you'll also see on the first level, one egg and one hot dog chasing you around. Now, as the levels progress, uh, I believe the number gets all the way up to five. So it advances to three chasing you, then four, and then eventually five. Um, and then across the top of the screen, of course, you've got uh, what level you're on, uh, how many peppers you have remaining, how many lives you have remaining, and your score. Now, the controls can either be uh, played through a joystick or through a keyboard. If you're playing, uh, I would think most people on Commodore 64 would be playing with a joystick. Uh, you need to put it in port two, and the fire button is what shoots your pepper. If you want to play with the keyboard, the letters O and P on the keyboard move you left and right. Q and A move you up and down, and the control button is what throws pepper. Now, if you've never played Burger Time, uh, or if you've only played it in the arcade, we're going to get into some weird stuff here. Uh, the goal of each level to clear the level is to assemble all four hamburgers. And to do that, you have to walk across uh, each part of the hamburger. Um, when you drop the different parts of the hamburger, if one of your enemies is below you, they will be squashed. You'll get points, but they immediately respawn. So you can't kill any of the enemies uh, they just respawn, and they respawn almost immediately. They just immediately enter back on the field, either left or right. Um, if you've played this arcade game, you know that the enemies have a certain logic, and one of those logic pieces is that they always use the ladders, and so it's all like they're forced to use a ladder. So if you're standing in between, like there's an enemy on the left, you're on the right, and there's a ladder in the middle, when it gets to that ladder, it will go up or down on that ladder. Um, the enemies in this version don't follow that logic. So if you're familiar with the arcade game, you've played the arcade version a lot, this version is going to feel very different to you. Also, one of the main 
ways to um, get rid of enemies when they're chasing you in the arcade game is when you run across one of the pieces, like let's say the top part of the bun, if one of the pieces of food is chasing you and they're, they're standing on the bun, when the bun drops, they will also fall down and be eliminated. That doesn't happen in this version. So um, that is like the easiest, and not the easiest, but it's uh, the way that most of the time when things are chasing you, that's how you get rid of them is you run across a thing. And so the fact that this game doesn't do that makes it much more difficult. Uh, other differences that I noticed right off the bat, um, I think Burger Time, the arcade game, is well known for its music that plays over and over during each level and, and the uh, sound effects that it plays at the end of, uh, in fact, there's the sound effect that's at the end of the talking snack sample is from Burger Time, that do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, and this doesn't do that. And that's, it's not a difficult thing to program in. Um, I can understand a game not wanting to, to play music the whole time if you have great sound effects, but this doesn't have great sound effects either. They almost seem like canned uh, effects. A lot of times when you're listening to them, it almost sounds like they've been borrowed from other games or something. Um, and again, back to that dark blue this game really seems too dark. Um, you've got the dark blue for the ladders and the platforms, which they're not hard to see, but against the black background, they don't really stand out. But what makes it worse is that the hot dogs that chase you around are drawn in the dark brown color. So you've got this brown hot dog and you've got dark levels and a black background, and it's really easy to just kind of lose where things are, where things are going on while you're playing. Once they get out of your, your uh, line of vision, it's easy to lose track of things. Uh, the way that you get score in this game, uh, the burger parts, as they fall, when they hit the bottom, you get 50 points for each one of those. Each egg or hot dog that you smush with a piece of the hamburger, you get 200 points. Um, if you collect, and this is from the docs, collect the pepper caster, is 200 points. Now, is it a shake or is it a pepper caster? Well, in the arcade version, it's a pepper caster, but here it's supposed to be a shake, but they're not very consistent. Uh, and finally, by uh, beating a level, again, you do that by assembling all the hamburgers on that level, you get a thousand points. So that's uh, obviously the um, uh, best way to build your score is, is just by advancing through levels. I checked the two websites that I normally check for high scores. Um, RetroComputerScene.com has a high score listed for this game of 17,900, and the C64 Wiki has 16,900. So both of those, I mean, that's kind of a ballpark, uh, pretty high score uh, for this game. Now, I always like to talk a little bit about trivia, and I referenced at the beginning of the show what does a fried egg have to do with hamburgers? Well, this game was developed by Data East, which was, as, as I mentioned at the beginning, based in Tokyo. Now, at that time, having a fried egg added to your hamburger was a pretty normal thing to do in Japan. It wasn't very common here. And so when the game uh, appeared in the U.S., people were confused why the egg was showing up. Now, I mean... <laughs> you're talking about pieces of food chasing you around while you're assembling burgers that are 10 foot tall. So I don't know that, you know, true food logic comes that much to play into things, but, um, <laughs> but people, uh, you know, used to ask why is there a fried egg instead of something else? It could have been, you know, ketchup or mustard or, uh, you know, anything else chasing you. Maybe a, a lettuce man, <laughs> lettuce man. Um, but uh, what's funny is getting an egg added to your sandwich is a little unusual now, but it's not rare. There's a burger place right near me that uh, will add an egg to your burger. You know, now that I say that, I don't know if Five Guys will do that. That would be good to check if, if they will throw an egg on there. But uh, we like a couple of places that we go to, SMB Burger and uh, The Garage. They both have eggs, and my wife loves getting an egg tossed on her, uh, her burger, so... There aren't a lot of reviews in mainstream media for this game, probably because this was an unofficial port. Um, 
Lemon 64 has an average score of 6.7, and there is one review in Personal Computer Games uh, uh, with a rating of 7 out of 10. And I can tell you that um, 7 out of 10 is a pretty generous score. Let's just put it that way. So, uh, Burger Time was ported to pretty much every computer system you could think of, at least at, you know, at the time, the 8-bit systems, uh, not including the arcade version and the Commodore 64. It was ported to the Apple II, the Atari 2600, the ColecoVision. It appeared on DOS, the Intellivision version. There were a lot of TV commercials for that, and it was really touted as being a really good port. It appeared on the MSX. It was released for the NES it was on the PC, it was on the Sharp, it was on the TI-99. Pretty much every 8-bit console and computer got some port of Burger Time. It could be an official port, could be an unofficial port. Um, it has also appeared more recently. The arcade version has appeared in compilations for Data East. It has appeared on the Wii. It's available on uh, the Switch. It's available on Steam. It is available on Evercade. So if you want to play the arcade version and not necessarily this, there's a lot of ways uh, to play this. Now, Burger Time, the arcade version, had uh, several different sequels. And the two uh, big ones that appeared were Super Burger Time and then later Peter Pepper's Ice Cream Factory, which is not as popular. A lot of people have seen if you're into Burger Time, a lot of people know about Super Burger Time, uh, but they haven't played that third game, the Peter Pepper's Ice Cream Factory. Uh, neither of those were ported to the Commodore 64, but they are both available on MAME if you want to check them out. So even though those games didn't appear on the Commodore 64, this game was not the only port of Burger Time that made it to the Commodore 64. Uh, there was a game called Burger Chase, which did not have quite as good graphics. Uh, there's a game called Mr. Wimpy, which I guess Mr. Wimpy, we talked about this on Discord. Uh, Mr. Wimpy is a hamburger chain in the UK. And it's funny that some of the, the music from the commercials and stuff for Mr. Wimpy sound a lot like the music that appears in uh, this uh, Burger Time game. You've got uh, Bear Bover or Bover. I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's his last name. But if you really want to play a good version of Burger Time for the Commodore 64, there was a uh, another version released later called Burger Time 97. And so it has updated graphics. It has better logic for the enemies. It's just a much better version. So most people that are looking to play a good version of Burger Time play that one. Uh, but I chose to review the original Burger Time, the one that came out in 1984, because most people that grew up with a Commodore 64, uh, that's the version that they played. If you want to own an original of this, it's kind of difficult because uh, I don't know if they it wasn't uh, if they didn't sell a lot of copies, but I only found one available on eBay, and it was a cassette version for thirty five dollars. And then if you're in the U.S., it was another twenty five uh, for shipping. So definitely not uh, necessarily an easy title to find. And now let's talk about my personal memories of Burger Time. All right, time You know, before I had a Commodore 64, I had an Apple II computer, and I had that for three years. And so between that and the Atari 2600, I got used to this concept of games being good enough. And I'll use Pac-Man for the Atari 2600 as an example. Everybody knows that Pac-Man for the Atari 2600 does not resemble Pac-Man in the arcade very closely. The shape, the way that Pac-Man's mouth is drawn is not the same. The, the layout of the maze is not the same. The sound effects are not the same. Most things about it are not the same. But that being said, when that game came out, it was good enough for me and my friends who were 
nine years old, eight years old at the time, uh, we did not have an arcade within walking distance. We, we did have a convenience store that later had a couple of machines. So if you wanted to play track and field or defender and later Shinobi, that was great. If you didn't want to play one of those three games, you were out of luck. So I, I didn't have access to a Pac-Man machine. So the Pac-Man that we had on the Atari 2600 was good enough. And that kind of became this theme, uh, not just for the Atari 2600, but it is, if you think about it, you know, um, you know, games like Dig Dug, any of the arcade, uh, you know, translations that made it to the Atari 2600. And then on the Apple computer that we had, and, and even on the Commodore 64, you know, uh, they weren't authentic ports. I mean, they weren't identical to the arcade versions, but they were good enough. Again, you know, as a kid, when your alternative was download Dig Dug for free and play it at home or wait for a month until your mom needed to go to the mall and then try to get some money, some quarters, and then go to the arcade and play Dig Dug and then die almost immediately, you know, it was good enough. And so I put this game in the category of good enough. You know, there was a time before MAME. <laughs> there was a time when you couldn't just load up the arcade version of every game and play it at home at your own convenience for free. And so before that existed, this version was good enough. Now that we have MAME and we have, you know, arcade uh, perfect ports on home machines that we can play, you can play the arcade version of Burger Time in your browser now. Um, this version doesn't hold up as good. But as a kid, that's how I would have uh, classified this game. I would have said um, it's good enough. Now, one of the problems with games like this, I could tell you Dig Dug, I will, I will mention specifically, and this specifically as well, is that when you played it so much at home on your computer, like I did, I played this a lot on my computer, was that when you went to the arcade, you found out how different the arcade version was. And so it fooled you into thinking that you were better at this game than you really were. So uh, Dig Dug is a great example. I got really good at Dig Dug on the Commodore 64. And then when I went to an arcade, a lot of the things, you know, the, the paths, the patterns, the things that I had established didn't work in the arcade version. So, um, you know, that was, was kind of uh, a lesson at the time. Now, as a lot of you know, I collected arcade games for several years. I've owned uh, around 100 arcade games. Uh, I think the most I ever owned at one time was around 30, but I bought and sold a lot of machines. And I bought a non-working Burger Time machine. And what I wanted to do was convert it into one of those uh, 60 in one, you know, multi-cade type of machines. And so I drove, I got it from Tulsa. I think I paid a hundred dollars for it, which uh, it's just such a neat looking cabinet. It's very unique. The top, the sides uh, are contoured to go around the chef's hat. It's a kind of a mustard yellow with stenciled on artwork. It's just a really cool looking machine. And when I got it home, all the artwork is just painted on wood. And when I got it home, every time I touched it, the paint started flaking off. And when I looked at it, it was just old and brittle. Uh, it must have been stored maybe facing sunlight or something. And, uh, you know, I even tried a little bit of clear coat, but the, the paint was almost 3D, like it was curved and breaking in little pieces. And everything I did, uh, you know, just made the artwork worse. And so really the only thing that, that would have uh, saved that machine would have been to sand it down and just repaint it and re-stencil it. And I never got around to it. I ended up selling it to um, someone else that wanted a Burger Time uh, project to work on. But uh, uh, I did I did enjoy, uh, even though it didn't work, I enjoyed uh, The monitor had gone out was, was what the deal was. But uh, even though it didn't work, I uh, certainly enjoyed uh, just owning it and looking at it. It's a really great-looking cabinet.
For graphics, I give Burger Time three out of five sad hamburgers. The graphics are just not very good. They're adequate at best. Uh, for music, I give it two out of five. None of the familiar Burger Time music is there, which makes it uh, uh, just not very enjoyable. The sound effects, I also give two out of five. They sound like canned sound effects from other games, and uh, they're just not very appealing. Overall, I give Burger Time for the Commodore 64 three out of five sad burgers. Um, if you want to you know, try it out and check it out and play it and stuff, uh, and put it in that context of playing games before you had uh, arcade ports at home, it's okay, but um, it really doesn't resemble the arcade version very closely. Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can always email me directly at robohair at robohair.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with us at the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave me a message on my podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. All patrons of my shows get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. This episode of Sprite Castle is proudly sponsored by Retro Rewind. For all your Commodore bits, bytes, and accessories, visit Retro Rewind at retrorewind.ca forward slash Sprite Castle. And don't forget to put Sprite Castle in the discount code when you check out for a 10% discount. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, the RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com, and through the official Amigos podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. To hear more podcasts from me, like You Don't Know Flack, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness, visit podcast.robohara.com for links to these shows. Many of the articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, Vintage is the New Old, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. I'd like to give a special shout out to all my Patreon supporters. My 8-bit supporters include Alan Hennessy, Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restel, Carrie Clanton, Chris Folds, Christopher Warren, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Heavey, Darren Folds, David Chambers, David Hearn, David Modelak, Eric Stryanisi, Garrett Allier, Gary Heather, Graham Vebke, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warns, John Bodakar Schaller, John Treholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Alley, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Mr. Wacky, Nathan Degenhart, Olaf Hope, Patrick Markey, Rydar and Christopher Bow, Rick Reynolds, Roy Jacobs, Scott Lambert, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Burt, Streve Rasmussen, The Slow Norris, Zeke Pabsky, Zerfall, and the one and only mysterious Cobra Kai. And extra special shout-outs to my 16-bit supporters. That would be Boar's Head Tavern BBS, Dan Creek, Dave Zilly, Edward Smith, John Morrison, Matt Nicholson, Scott Von Dresek, Steve Sharippa, and Vintage Volts. Thanks again for listening to Sprite Castle. Now go make some burgers, and I'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. <laughs>